Thank you for joining us with another installment of Bad Dinner Guests. This is Lou. What's up? I'm Kev. And I'm Nathan. And tonight we're going to be talking some interesting theories and conspiracies of what really transpired for the Oklahoma City bombing. That was really good, by the way. I just want to stop and just say nice work. That's That Thank was you. the most professional we have ever sounded, so naturally I had to jump right <laughs> in and ruin it. I think that's the best intro I've ever personally done for anything. That that was quality. <laughs> it's a, a job well done. Thank so, you. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. You should. You should. And I thank you for taking your hat off to me. Nathan should also pat himself on the back. I don't know if we gave him enough Ooh. credit last. I'll week. pat something for him. Oh, now we're just now, now we have just gone downhill on the professional. Yeah, we, which was great. I put the we, bad and bad dinner. Cast. We needed to get back to our normal <laughs> level of things. So now, now that everyone's comfortable again, Nathan, I wanted to give you some credit. I don't know if we made the point last week that these topics sort of came came upon from you from uh, just normal social media interaction, but you put the bug in our ear to do a Waco Ruby Ridge video, which we did last week, and we ended up, there was no way we weren't going to tie it to Oklahoma City, yeah. because that's sort of where that leads. So I kind of want to maybe see if you don't mind starting this bad boy off for us. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you want, we should probably go over the official story, right, guys? Yeah. Most yeah. people know the yeah, official story. synopsis here. Do you, do you want me to do it? Do you I, can, I, can I would do love it. for Nathan to do it. I would love I for Nathan take, to do it as well. I want yeah. to make sure. So, so basically, put uh, Timothy McVeigh, um, especially. Boy, see, I see what you mean now about yeah. Lou. Lou, I, for all of you viewers, Lou is looking at me with this weird face like he's tuning into Santa when he's like four years old. So, little bit, little bit. So, anyway, to get to get back to here. Um, Timothy McVeigh, um, through the early 1990s, he started to become very anti-government, very con pro-constitution. Now that's very loosely because um, you know he ended up bombing the uh, building. But um, him and uh, Terry Nichols um, ended up making uh, some fertilizer bombs and rented a rider truck um, to the Alfred P. Murrah building in Oklahoma City. And ended up uh, blowing up the uh, building on what was it, April twentieth? April nineteenth, nineteen ninety-five, Patriots Day. Yep. Yep. Um, also, two years to the day that the Waco, Waco took place, and uh, what was his name? Snell. Another, another random side note before I let you take back over. Okay. Oh, where did he go? Mr. Snell, I'm going to have to find his first name again. Um, there was the guy who originally attempted to blow up the Murrah building in 1983 was put to death on April 19th, 1995. He was put yeah. down in Arkansas. Just oh, wow. a, a random thing. The same that, day, though. The exact same day that the Murrah Very building odd. was blown up, a man who attempted to do it before was put to death. So I'll let you continue. And uh, I, I should clarify, because Columbine also happened you know, on the day after on the 20th. Now, that was four years later. I always weirdly mess up those dates. So Fair know, enough. Yeah, um, that, I completely understand that. You know, they're both big uh, big history things here. But we were all relatively young when those happened, too, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I mean, I was only... I wasn't even three yet when uh, the uh, Murrah building was blown up. Um, but, 
but basically ended up killing 160 people, and I believe of those 160, 19 were children. Mm. Um, he has stated, and we'll go into this a little bit more, he has stated he didn't necessarily know that there was a daycare center um, in the building. Um, you know, and typically that's something you wouldn't really know unless you worked there type of deal, you know? Yeah, I, I've also seen stuff where, you know, there people have speculated that there's no way he shouldn't have not known that, especially with it being on the ground floor, which I believe it was. Mm. Um, and he was later pulled over for not having a license plate and was arrested for that in his getaway car, and then they eventually connected him back to the bombing. And, uh, right. yeah, fun fact was, uh, ex why was I going to say exterminate? I guess it's the same thing as executed. <laughs> yes, it's here. Um, but it was executed in my home state, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, just very fun fact. It was about a stone's throw from where I grew up in our home state. I, it, Terre Haute, Indiana, I was there. I grew up maybe a 15-minute drive from where they put Timothy McVeigh down. It was sort of a, it was almost sadly like a claim to fame. That Those were the two things Terre Haute had. We had Larry Bird in the 80s and Timothy McVeigh. Those are the two things Southern Indiana is known for. Um, so this was something that since my childhood that I have thought at least that I knew a decent amount about. And the more you start to look into things through documentaries such as The Noble Lie, uh, James Corbett, The Corbett Report, did mm. a great Secret documentary Life. called The Secret Life of Timothy McVeigh. And that sort of kind of, we'll be going, we'll be walking those lines. Uh, so people listening, watching along, uh, we are going to be kind of testing the waters with this one. Poking, poking some holes here and there, bringing up different theories and aspects of it that we have heard, and just trying to trying to figure this one out, because I know people may be sitting here thinking, well, this is old news, why are we talking about it, but the Omnibus Act that was turned into the anti-terrorism bill, which was quoted by Bill, President Clinton in 96 when he signed it, he quoted saying that this was a direct result of the Oklahoma City bombing, Okay. Yeah, a lot of the things that we are dealing with, for instance, without this, this was the precursor to the Patriot Act, yeah. which is a precursor to what's going on now. So in order for you to understand the world that you currently inhabit, it would it is nice to know how we got here and how the, the steps that are taken after these initial processes are made, after these, what some would call invasions into privacy, because these acts, this Omnibus Act, uh, the anti-terrorism bill, these were all staunchly fought and protested by the American people. We did not want this, especially after Ruby Ridge and Waco. People were did yeah. not trust the government, <laughs> they did not, especially didn't trust any of the alphabet agencies. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, a lone wolf nut comes along and attacks the ATF, who, by the way, had no one in the building that day. The official story is that they had five of their employees there that day. And that the reason being because the rest of the office worked late the night before. And so that's why none of them were there. That's why none of their children were there at the daycare yeah. where they usually stay. And so it's a hell of a coincidence. It's a hell of a coincidence that, you know, and that's why we're well, that's, sort of diving into it. Because all of a sudden, then the people changed their mind. They were scared. Right. This bill 
wasn't signed overnight, but it was changed. It was renamed. It got a new stamp put on it. It mm-hmm. was signed a year later. And people who had up until that point fought for their rights were willing to then hand them over because a lone nut white dude blew up a government building. And mm-hmm. so, and it was a much different brand of, of terrorism. Now at that point, the 93 World Trade Center bombing had happened. So we were, right. we were terrorism wasn't a brand new concept to the Americans, but, but domestic terrorism and there you go you is the change the game changer and it's, it's a big one there it's, i would uh sorry i would like to to correct a statement earlier the daycare center was on the second floor yeah it okay first floor. it was yeah it was on the second floor and yeah I, I missed that one too i did not correct you on that one um been watching a whole lot about this lately but yeah the second yeah. floor but still um whether or not he knew about the daycare Kind of regardless, you know. It's sort of sad to say innocent lives are innocent lives. Right. So, well, I will say that one of his co-conspirator, um, Terry Nichols, has stated that they knew there was a daycare center and that they really didn't care. So you have the one person who was executed saying he didn't know, but then obviously his co-conspirators mm-hmm. and didn't care anyway. Well, Terry Nichols, it should be noted, is his disposition is very interesting. I mean, here's a guy who's never getting out of jail, and he has been quoted as saying that the not all of the knowledge that I have in regarding to this could never get out because, and he, I, I don't want to paraphrase the entire quote, but it gets to a point where he said, it's the others unknown. He said, especially in regards to the, there are certain details of this case unknown. that will never gill out, especially in regards to the others unknown involved in the case mm-hmm. and which you know he you look into what he's saying you know he's kind of saying a lot there that <laughs> there are people involved and oh, that's yeah. something we haven't even touched on this yet and you missed one thing I would say maybe that you might have missed in the official story was the three-month manhunt the largest manhunt in FBI history for the so-called John Doe number two yeah which was eventually called off basically saying oh we messed up, guys. This dude doesn't exist. We know that there were 24 eyewitness accounts of seeing him with McVeigh that morning mm-hmm. and an apparent video, which, again, how these these coincidences, folks, we, we got to we can't continue to believe these coincidences that we see. Case in point, the Pentagon, all of the surrounding buildings that could have shown us a plane flying into the Pentagon, somehow all of that camera footage is lost. All of the cameras across the street from the Murrah building that should show us Tim McVeigh and only Tim McVeigh getting out of a rider truck. Show him with another man. They, they supposedly show him with another man, but also we're not seeing them. There's, they're claiming that they're lost or that, you know, all the tapes. I mean, we, we see a bunch of different examples. Depending on what, on what disaster it is, we hear things like, oh, all the tapes were resetting at that time, and there's there's a 30-minute window where they don't record, so we can change the tapes, and it took place during that window. Or, we lost them, we can't find them. Where the- well, which story is it? it yeah, well, it, exactly. that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's always a variety of one of these stories, mm-hmm. but it's always the same sort of just bullshit. Swan song. You know, yeah. we just can't find it. Uh, it's, you, you, we would give it to you guys if we could find it. Kind of like how the uh, ISS always mysteriously shuts its cameras down when anomalies enter the field. Oh, you mean when uh, when squids fly up next to the boat that they're in in the ocean? Unconfirmed targets. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my favorite. 
to, to get real tin foil on you here for a second, one of my favorites is the theory that uh, all space footage is actually shot in giant swimming pools. Um, that's a great theory that we won't touch on today, but someday I want someday I want to come back to Could you repeat that? I'm sorry. space being fake. Uh, I don't want to get too off topic, but I will repeat it for you. I think it'd be fun for us to talk about the idea that all of uh, all of our space footage is faked, and that a lot of the stuff that they film is like actually being filmed underwater. Oh my god! Um, and stuff like that. So there's not other stars in it. And then that well, they show we'll air, to dive into that. Air bubbles is where they go. They point out air bubbles floating. And what's supposed to be in space. So, yeah, okay. one, we really need to dive in some other time. <laughs> we spent a lot of time researching that. Yeah, get it? Pun intended. Boom. There you go. Speaking of dives, so Timothy McVeigh may have taken a dive here. He may have taken one for the team. He clearly didn't speak on his co-conspirators. Oh, no. We should point out it's very odd. So he passed up on any attempts to forfeit uh, for his appeal, appeals. forfeited all of his appeals and worked tirelessly on one request, a very unique request that was inevitably granted to him that, and that was, he requested that there be no autopsy, which he is... And to be immediately cremated. And to be immediately cremated, and he is the only such inmate on death row to have that request granted, um, which feeds into the idea of where stories like the Corbett Report go with the secret life of Timothy McVeigh, the idea that Timothy McVeigh was more of a Lee Harvey Oswald sheep-dipped intelligence right. asset than he was some redneck racist. Right. Uh, that he was, well, the term is sheep-dipped, and uh, we've talked about this before. If you listened to us last week, you're familiar, but the easiest way to break it down, if you have seen Martin Scorsese's The Departed, Picture Leonardo DiCaprio, okay? He, he's, for those of you who don't, I'm going to have to just explain it a long way anyway. Leo is applying to be a state trooper. He gets, he does, he scores very highly on his tests. He has a secret meeting with the undercover cops in which, you know, they tell him it's going to look as if he's been released from the state. He's that he failed his training. He's going to take an assault charge he's going to actually do physically do the time yeah and then when he comes back he will be just a street thug and only two people in the entire department know that he's actually a cop and so long story short that is what sheep dipping essentially is it would be take that act apply that in the story to a military operation and just imagine someone pretending to fail a spec ops trial and then coming back into the world as Ooh. a citizen. And That's funny. Didn't he fail his uh, special forces? He did. Yeah, after Allegedly. the Gulf War, uh, he was uh, a sergeant. He went from private to sergeant in two years. Had was given a couple of different citations, the good kind. Um, what was it? Bronze. Star, I can't remember off the top. Oh uh, yeah, bronze star. Bronze and, Combat Star. Yep. And was accepted to try out for the Special Forces according to a letter that he wrote to his sister that was covered by major news sources. Uh, he claimed to be one of ten people in his unit who's at the out of four hundred that were there for Special Forces. He told his sister that ten social security numbers were called out and his was one of them. Uh, Nathan, did you read that letter? You I have not seen that letter. I I have not gotten a link for it. I Okay. I don't know if you saw a link somewhere. Uh, I, I, can, I can get one sent over to you. Uh, but So, 
when, when this was covered, I believe by the Washington Post, what, what they, they they covered these letters that Tim McVeigh wrote to his sister, and then had this sort of whitewash statement afterward that all it simply said in parentheses, uh, "The government has always denied such allegations." Which, first right. of all, what a blanket statement! Like you're not even saying it. Like some un, unidentified entity representing the government. They're not even saying. Right, uh, CIA, Army, no one. So the government has always denied subject, so it, it shows you that they probably didn't even bother to fact check. They're like just trying to write this one off. But in a letter he wrote to his sister, he claimed that he would be hired CIA assassins, that his job would be to smuggle gu- smuggle drugs and guns mm-hmm. in the name of you know acquiring assets for the United States military, and that you know their part of their job would be to silence people. And he even mentioned in the letter. We would be paid CIA assassins, you know, da, da 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 da. So that is what sort of opened up this whole theory uh, that he was more than what he claimed that, and John Paul Hammer, his former cellmate, claiming that Tim McVeigh would tell him up until his death that he wasn't going to die, that a man named the Major was going to inject him with something that would make it look like he was dead, and then he'd be ushered out of the building and revived at a later right. point and then be rewarded for his service to his country and it just makes you wonder was this did this guy snap because of what happened to him at war and his failure right. or was he a really well-groomed intelligence officer that maybe thought he was part of a sting operation and then realized too late that he was the patsy and knew better than to go against it, or was he? Because to me, that part doesn't make sense either. Because he sit, he sat there and took it in jail. Right. He never tried to right what was wrong. Never really. I mean, he, he definitely showed remorse. And you can't say if you watched his interview on CNN, which coincidentally enough, it is impossible to find. Did you guys try finding this? Because I tried. No. And I, this was another part that bothered me. If you look for his interview, his sixty-minute interview, the longest you're going to find is a three-minute clip of it. <laughs> And the show is called 60 Minutes. Yeah. And so it, it bothered me that in today's day and age that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could torrent it. I'm sure I could download it. But for me to not be able to quickly find it, as uh, Nathan, the producer extraordinaire, probably will find it working his two cell phones over here <laughs> and, and really make me look like an ass. But in general, well, I found one for 12 minutes. Twelve minutes, okay, but again, but it's it's, that's a, it's going to be at minutes. least a forty oh, minutes. That's a documentary. That's not his uh, interview. And and see, you, it's hard to find the actual interview, but you can find a clip where he does show some remorse for what he's done as far as the children. Right. Um, he doesn't show. Rem- he doesn't even claim any remorse, though, in the fact that you know, the, you know, basically his version of it is innocent people die in war. That's how it happens. That's that's what has to happen. Um, I found a BBC interview. BBC. Okay. Well, yeah. So, just sort of bring us back here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Timmy was involved in the army. So what? We 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 know that much. We know that he was. So he was in the Gulf War. When the Gulf War was over, he was assigned uh, bodyguard duty. Then he was called back to trial for the special forces. The official story is that he failed physically due to the strain that was put on his body in the Gulf War, that he failed the physical test due to, an ankle, body mass and due, all that. Due to an ankle injury yeah. and while, while carrying. Well, and I also, I have a point here. Let me see if I can find it. I uh, have this article up here. 
Um, his dad asked his sister at one point, um, not his dad, excuse me. Um, there's this uh, paragraph in the article, so like, why would Tim, char characteristically non-drinker, super successful in the Army, private to sergeant in two years, top gun, bronze star, accepted into special force, all of a sudden come home, party hard, and just like that announced that he was not only disillusioned by special forces, but was in fact leaving the service. Um, and then he said, and then the, the paragraph after this has stated, it talks about the him and the nine others would be ordered to help the CIA fly drugs into the U.S. to fund covert operations mm -hmm. and be government-paid assassins. So. Mm -hmm. There you go, and that is an excerpt from his letter to his sister right yes. there. Um, yes, so what, let's, let's keep the tin foil in the kitchen for now and just mm -hmm. go along with the official story and see, okay, so what, what happened next? So he fails the special forces and what so. What year would that have been? Um, Do we have that at hand? He's supposed to be out. I like how you have a knack for answering the, or asking the questions that we aren't prepared for in the moment. <laughs> um, I was, mean, he was out before before Ruby Ridge, right? Yes, because yes. he got a email slash mail from the Department of Defense in February of '93, um, saying that he had been overpaid by one thousand fifty-eight dollars while in the army, and he was asked to repay it. Mm. So <laughs> he's he I think he he's been out. Um, before that, I think, 92. And you That's need to right. watch, uh, if you watch The Secret Life of Timothy McVeigh, one of his arguments was there is actual footage from a film crew that was in Camp, Camp Grafton, North Dakota in 93, where mm -hmm. Tim McVeigh had just parked a tank of the guy that they alleged was Tim McVeigh. And this was, and the whole point of this argument was this was supposedly around two years after he had been discharged. What was he doing? in his fatigues driving a tank. Right. And that Camp Grafton also at that time was a place where people were trained in explosives. So that part of the conspiracy theory that gets brought in by the secret life gets brought up there. So in the in the early nineties he's discharged and from there December thirty first, nineteen ninety one. Mm-hmm. Because it was from like eighty eight to ninety one. And the red flag there is that military tours are usually four years you know even if even if he would have failed the special forces he would have still had to have obliged by the details of his contract and fulfill the four years you're not just out that's what that's that's where I think most people found find the basis of well, the I sheep think, dipping yeah but I think on that too is right at the end there um, that's he was in right at the end of Gulf, first Gulf War, though. Mm -hmm. So that may be a thing, you know. He could have got the battle points. Well, I'm, I'm just talking devil's advocate on this here. It may be a thing where, you know, it ended in, you know, quote-unquote, peacetime. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while he didn't get in the Special Forces, it may have been just a thing where, oh, well, you're not really needed because we're not in war, per se. Um, so... Just, just true. to play devil's advocate. It's on true, that side. but it's still it's still odd. Yeah, that yeah. And what 
So where he went from there, because it, it is odd, and it only gets more odd, because where he goes from there is there's reports of him hanging out in Aryan circles under the name Tim Tuttle, selling guns and selling the uh, Turner Diaries, which mm. is a book, a fictional book written by white supremacists in which essentially the theme of the story is they start bombing federal buildings and this white power movement overthrows its tyrannical government. Hmm. And, yeah, and they do so by bombing federal buildings and stuff like that. And so, right around... Yeah, yeah, that's really funny that you go to these volatile fucking people like skinheads... And you give them a book like that, expecting that they won't fucking emulate that shit. Well, and that's what the people on the other end would argue. That will say that um, that Tim McVeigh was a PatCon operative. PatCon standing for uh, you know the Patriot Conspiracy. It's mm-hmm. um, it's the idea that the CIA was trying to infiltrate certain right wing groups in the same way that they tried to infiltrate the Black Panthers back in the day the way that they successfully infiltrated and maybe even started the hippie movement, um, that they were looking out at these right-wing groups. And, and the, the whole reason we had to do this as a sister conversation with Ruby Ridge and Waco is it essentially, you you, you should start to see the themes now. If you listen to last week and you're Definitely. listening now, you see a lot of white supremacist gun rights stuff all being used together in these situations where the the supposed story of the undercover agent Tim McVeigh sort of fits when you apply the, what you know about Randy Weaver and about there being an undercover operative being the guy who asked him to buy the guns, mm-hmm. who got him pinched, and then they come back and they try to turn him into an informant. And so, Spycraft whether, 101. Whether or not you believe, yes, it's Spycraft 101, but the, the average person doesn't who, know shit like that. Yeah, is only going to. Their Spycraft 101 is what they've seen on James Bond. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, have to, you have to remember that when we discuss these issues. It's very easy for those who can see through this to be right. like, how the hell can you not see through it? But a lot of people, unfortunately or fortunately, they choose to see the good in people and they choose to believe. Yeah that the world revolves around their moral compass. And not only does the world not revolve around their moral compass, but most people are, are unfortunate enough to find out that they don't even follow their own moral compass when push comes to shove. Right. So this whole thing right. here, it, it the coincidences are odd. No, I, I just, sorry, I had to laugh because that whole moral compass thing, you know, it's just this... That's kind of been of a theme that over this weekend. We watched The Killing Joke the other day and Suicide Squad today. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nihilism is running rampant. Huh. Yeah. I, and one thing I would like to, to clarify, well, not clarify, but state here is, you know, he was, he started becoming an increase, as soon as he left the Army one, he started to become increasingly anti-government. Um, he was very into the gun show culture, gun rights and stuff. Um, in fact, he was at Waco distributing like anti-government uh, pamphlets and stuff along that, those lines. But a lot, a lot of these times, address. that too. After, yeah. after Waco, he was yeah. addressing that. But um, one you know thing, what else he was selling out there? What the Turner Diaries? Huh. So, but again, he was there. Yeah, and that's yeah. another reason that we talk about this. Like it, it was 
supposedly done in re- in result as yeah, a direct because, result as a response to what was done to the people at Ruby Ridge and Waco. And, and he was there, and there is film footage of him being interviewed as a bystander mm-hmm. there. Um, so again, no matter what, but see, the, that's one of those pieces of evidence all too familiar in the world of conspiracy where it's like the the same piece of evidence is used to argue both sides. It's yeah. like the flat earthers, the same test that you use, the same sun and stick test that people use to prove that the earth is round is the very same test that the flat earthers use to prove that we're on a plane because they argue that the sun is closer than the people, than the globe earthers argue. So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it's like one piece of evidence is used to fuel both sides of the argument. Right. What, what definitely, though, I, I definitely don't think could be argued is obviously the fact that, you know, and it wasn't necessarily as much of Ruby Ridge as Waco, um, but also the fact that they used CS gas at Waco. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he had been in the military and also been exposed to it and the effects also put him over that tipping point because he finally decided... Now, it took two more years, but it finally decided to make some sort of action towards the government due to what happened at Waco. Well, that, but I mean, we're talking about a substance that was eventually banned from warfare. So, yet the government felt more than free to throw it in our faces. Well, I shouldn't say our faces, but people's faces that they call citizens. Well, and then, not, not to open up that whole can of worms again, but something that... Janet Reno and Tim McVeigh had in common was uh, they they both claimed essentially what they did was either to protect or in Tim's case to avenge the children mm-hmm. and look at and look at who paid the price. The children. Jan- yeah. Janet Reno claimed that what the actions that were taken were done in order to save those children and get those children out of there before their maniacal yeah, parents put them really all to death. Though. And then instead they all were put to death. And then Tim McVeigh, in his outrage to these innocent women and children being killed goes and blows up a building in which 20, in, 20 children are crushed. Nine, yeah, sorry for my rounding, but 19 children are crushed. Um, can I point out, now this is just more about three, I would like to point out three actions he did after um, Waco. Now they may not necessarily have a connection to down the road, um, but I was just, the mindset, it, I think it spells more about the mindset he was you know, in, which led him to this, like, for example, um, he sold uh, ATF hats that had bullet holes in them, so, like, fake bullet holes. Um, He also handed out um, pamphlets about the open, what he considered open warfare on American people, and how he compared the Waco shootout to... Memory of Warsaw 43, which, if you don't know what I mean by that, is the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Yeah. Um, so to, to they killed everybody. Oh yeah, and to just, and then that's when he started experimenting with pipe bombs and things along those lines. So to, but for me, the fact that he wants to compare Waco to the Ghetto Uprising. Right. I mean, you you see that that's just you know I don't know who he would have necessarily also talked to about that. Um, he did hand out pamphlets about it, but, um, you know, to compare that, you know, to see the mindset, um, I know it's hard to, to call stuff in on people just based on upon that, I mean, right. you know, freedom of speech and all, um, but to see that as, you know, that's definitely a, 
what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, like a for, forward, things along those lines. Mm. Um, foreshadowing? For, yeah, foreshadowing. Everyone's on the right path there. Right. Um, but, Showing that it's a premeditated yes. sort of thing, that there, right. there was a build here. So I I do see... I see where you're going with that, and I, I definitely, you can, I can't argue against it. Now, the thing that I want to bring up that we haven't touched on yet at okay. all of this entire conspiracy is the Elohim City connection, oh, which is the one of the bigger parts, one of the things that a lot of people kind of forget about. But if you're on the side of Tim McVeigh was an asset or this was an inside job, people knew that this was going on. There is a, a lot of people out there. There are a lot of people out there that believe Tim McVeigh be thought that, that, that a lot of people that believe that Tim McVeigh believed he was going undercover to try to do a sting on Elohim City, which essentially was another Waco type, yeah. except imagine a Waco where everyone is a white separatist, uh, a white white supremacist yeah. essentially. And what was interesting, if um, uh, I hope I wish one if one of you guys gets a chance to look up the name. I cannot remember Snell's first name, but this guy. How do you spell Snell's? S N E L L. So this guy Snell, who was the one of two people who first attempt to blow up the Murrah Building in 1983. Now, so when this attempt, the reason this attempt failed, guys, is they they originally planned to create a bomb, and put the bomb in the building. And then one of the two came up with the idea of let's just build a, sort of a Lewis a, a, Snell. A grenade launcher. I can't remember. Richard Snell. Richard Snell, mm. thank you. Okay. Yeah, because uh, members of the white supremacist group, the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord, um, plotted to park a van to blow it up with rockets detonated by a timer. Yeah, and so that was the original plan. Then the second plan was for them to build sort of a, a rocket launcher. And the plan only was stopped when the rocket launcher went off in their hand as they were building it yep. and then so they took that because they believe they were on a mission of god they took that as a sign from god to let them know that they were on the wrong path so now richard snell um richard snell who was put down on april 19th 1995 the same day upon his request was buried in elohim city okay which the connection now, <clears throat> now Tim McVeigh, when he was first asked about Elohim City, he said he had no connection to it, never been there. Can you spell that, by the way? It's like the, in the Bible, uh, E-L-O-H-I-M. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a Bible term. Uh, if you remember the Nephilim in the Elohim, um, basically talking about the, the early race of, of humans. Um, Nephilim being like, uh, what's his name? Goliath. Mm -hmm. Goliath was part of the Nephilim, the giants. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, so Elohim City, the, Richard Snell was buried there, the man who was, a, who was put to death the same day as the Oklahoma City bombing. So right there, sort of a big connection. A guy who tried to bomb at the first place right. um, gets put there. Now, there was a, Nate, actually, if you can do, if one of you guys can do me your favor here, I believe her name was Kate Howell. There was an, there was an ATF informant in Elohim City. Carol Howell. Carol Howell, thank you who got involved, had a sexual relationship, an intimate relationship with a leader of the Aryan uh, movement, and then ended up becoming an asset. And she, so she was planted in Elohim City at this time, and she was put there with bomb-making materials and taking what we know 
from the 1993 World Trade Center bombing in which we used former Egyptian police officer to create a bomb and he has the recordings on his phone because he, he got very suspicious when the FBI told him not to switch the real bomb material for the fake bomb material so he started recording his phone calls with the FBI so we know we have it is fact it is it's proven that the FBI had prior knowledge to the first World Trade Center bombing and that they in fact had a chance to stop it and that somewhere along the lines at the very least, something was mishandled. Yeah. Okay, if you don't want to go inside job on that one, that's fine. But you have to at least acknowledge the fact that mistakes were made and that there was prior knowledge. So I, I say that because that was two years before this. Right. So if you want to make the argument to me that this is beyond the realm of possibility, that's my counterpoint to you. Like, hey, look, it had already happened at this point where we had people on the inside that were greasing the wheels in an attempt to run a sting, and then the sting operation doesn't work. Because let's remember, these Muslim bombers in 1993 were pitched as some masterminds, but they mm -hmm. parked their van up against a pillar, and that's why that's why the first World Trade Center bombing is so forgettable. Because they they put the they put the van in really the, the one place they shouldn't put it yeah. if they yeah. wanted to do any damage. And so, again, you, clearly those guys weren't. If you're not smart enough to think of that, could you have been smart enough to build that bomb? Anyway, we know who built the bomb. Back to this, Carol Howell was involved at, at, as an ATF. She mentioned there's a character that often gets forgotten outside of John Doe number two, who will still have to come mm. back to at some point. Right. Andy Strassmeyer. Strassmeyer. Straussmeyer. Mm. His name sounds that familiar to you, right? Nathan? I'm sure you? I've heard it over uh, coast to coast. Not particularly. So here is a German native who self-appointed himself the security guard of Elohim City, who, after the Oklahoma City bombing, was not questioned in relation to the Oklahoma City bombing until after he had already gotten back to Germany. He was also nicknamed Andy the German. Andy the German, yes. Andy the German. There are, there are, again, if you watch The Secret Life of Timothy McVeigh or The Noble Lie, you will, you will run across a witness a survivor from the Oklahoma City bombing who claimed that she saw not Tim McVeigh but Andy Strassmeyer and three other men at the time what she thought they were doing was putting internet or cable but she saw them in the parking garage and what they had in their hand was what looked like uh, some some putty and some very thin wiring which Lou I don't have to tell you that that's yeah what what they're doing there for and wires yeah it sounded very much like they were setting up some explosives there was also an instance of Andy Strassmeyer entering a uh, federal building in Texas that he shouldn't have had access to which the only way he could have gotten into was with a code so that again people bring up the the question well did Strat was it was it possible that he had access to the Murrah building as well? And the the mere fact that a man in question in regards to this the most dr major terror attack at, the, at that time on American soil, how is it that he manages to get all the way back to Germany before someone questions him? And then they call him over the phone and ask him if he, did you have anything to do with this? You know that say what you want, that's not doing your due diligence as an investigator. No. That's, a, that's negligence at the very least. If uh, Let's be honest, folks. If you or I are a suspect of any kind of crime, we're not getting out of the country no. that easily. So that's another interesting part. Now, I will go ahead and say I do not think that he was John Doe number two. I think that's mm -hmm. a very...
big different person. But then there also goes uh, another key point of have evidence you saw his is um, yes, I have seen he. He looks. He like, does not look anything like. He does John not Donor look anything like like John Donor too. He looks like Sling Blade. Yeah. Um, what was the? Do either of you guys remember the name mm, of the? Taters. Was it Lady Godiva's? What What was the name of the strip club where it where Tim McVeigh was seen two days before the bomb? Um, um, I can look that up. Because there is security footage from now. This was a creepy part of the investigation, which <laughs> I can't even just. Gloss over how the information came across because Lady Godiva. Lady Godiva. See, look there at that. Go. See, the memory is on point today. So, at Lady Godiva's, the owners did a very weird thing where they had cameras up in the dancers' locker room. So that way, uh, if girls were stealing from each other, if there was a fight, or if you know some guy came back there, wasn't supposed to be back there, they'd had it all on footage. And one day, there was a fight. A particularly interesting fight and so the owner uh, I don't know how legal this is he sends the the tape he sends the DVD of that day's locker room footage to a friend of his so he'll look at this so he'll get to see the fight mm -hmm. and apparently this friend was a bit of a perv because he watches the entire video and something far later on in that night that he catches on is uh, some girl walking into the locker room talking to another girl who's off the clock about some weird conversation she just had with a patron. And now the, the, the rumor is that these patrons that are being discussed are Tim McVeigh, Andy Strassmeyer, and one more, a third unknown individual. Mm. Now, Tim McVeigh claims he was the only, that Andy Strassmeyer was John Doe there. Two. Possibly John Doe number two. I just know that um, what Tim McVeigh was supposed to have said based on the dancer's words were, you know, he kept telling her how smart he was and how he was going to be famous and that after April 19th, 1995, you're going to remember me. Mm. You'll never forget me. That's so, funny. And this was very odd. Well, and, you know, the funny thing that you bring up is intelligence. You know, they wouldn't have, a, they wouldn't have even given them the time of day to try out for special forces if yeah. he was stupid. Oh, e exactly. Um, apparently, sorry, this goes back to the strip club thing. Lady Godiva's apparently a third man, um, along with Andy the German, they were at the strip club. The third man, people believe to be Michael uh, uh, Bresca, um, and apparently that same uh, uh, camera for the uh, strip club. Uh, I mean, this is not anything conspiracy per se. Uh, was recorded, uh, recorded Timothy McVeigh telling a stripper on. April 19th, you will remember me for the rest of your life. Right, which, yeah, it was yeah. good. I'm glad that you had you found an article to verify it so people don't think I'm just blowing smoke up their ass. So, wonderful. Now, what's funny before you continue, this is a law school educational website. So this isn't some bullshit. I mean, it talks about conspiracy. This is not some bullshit conspiracy website. I'm not saying all conspiracy websites are bullshit. But it's, no, but a it's, lot of them are. Yeah, it's literally a university law school that has all this information here. Right. And so, yeah, that does a decent amount, in my view, to legitimize the fact, you know. And then you can, this isn't a well-kept secret. You don't, we aren't making any of this stuff up about Lady Godiva's. It's right. been brought up over and over again. And the, the people involved have been interviewed about it. So, 
now we're we have the whole John Doe number two thing still up there. We have the the Andy Strassmeyer uh, in, in being involved, and so I guess you know is that is that where we go next? Um, do the next development here, the next inconsistency? Because if you want to point out, because we we haven't even gotten to the blast yet. Yeah. We haven't gotten to the blast radius, the type of blast, the type of bomb that was supposed to be used, or the original reports from the local and national news saying that a second and a third bomb were found. I remember, because I say I remember, I, I watched these clips in videos right. that, that were made a long time ago. This, this was a big deal. Now, another thing, random side point for me to point out that the people leading this movement uh, were former FBI chiefs, Air Force specialists, uh, people working at schools getting seismic readings from miles away in, Tul in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, picking up two, two reads on the Richter scale that normally is there to pick up earthquakes. And so they're saying, we felt two blasts. There's people... Working across the street. Also, Tim in his uh, revelations in prison has also stated himself that now that you know this is what's said to inmates at prison. So, I mean, it's interesting to look at, but you know, play devil's advocate. You don't necessarily know that it's secondhand or somebody's changing something. So I'll put that out there before I say it. Um, what they said there was a second decoy, and in quotations, decoy truck that was uh, loaded up with fertilizer, and two trucks are driven. Um, they said the bomb was completed uh, completed at the warehouse, like the assembly, uh, with a guy named, uh, where's his full name here? Um, some guy, Poindexter. We were talking about Poindexter earlier, um, and a couple of other folks. So, which can you, um, when you get a chance, can you, I can't remember the name of the lake. Do you guys remember the, uh, it was, so the official story is that Tim McVeigh alone went and purchased this rider truck. Uh, although the eyewitnesses, because you, I don't know if you remember, they played off the eyewitness accounts of John Doe number two being with Timothy McVeigh by claiming that there was a second group of people and they found a picture of a guy who kind of looked a little bit like Tim McVeigh, but with a big porn stash. And a buddy of that went with him that kind of fit the description of John Doe number two. And what they did was they said, okay, well, the store people got it wrong. He was remembering these two people that came the day after. And it, he didn't really see Tim McVeigh with somebody else. He saw Tim McVeigh alone the day before. Mm -hmm. That's the official story. Right. That's what they're telling you, that, that they're putting their words into the store owner's mouth and saying, no, look, sorry, you got it confused. What you meant was... You saw these two people the next day, and they are in no way related to what's going on here, right? Hmm. Okay, good. That's what I thought. Um, yeah. That sort of thing. Um, but there was this lake that was supposedly where the bomb was built, starting on April seventeenth. And I need to, the 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 reason I need to come up with the name of the lake is it, it would help me uh, figure out. There's an old couple that that vacation home lived out there. That, that the man, the the older gentleman, claimed that he had seen the rider truck there for over a week, that there had been, or potentially that there was more than one rider truck that was up there being worked on, because that doesn't fit the story of yeah. them renting it several days beforehand. There is also the footage, you guys really should watch The Noble Lie, 
uh, I would show you the footage myself, but we already got slapped on the wrist today for uh, showing a muted copyright trailer. issues. So I don't want to get any copyright issues. I don't want to get any trouble. So we want to continue to be able to give you our info and give it for free. Right. So we. I would. Uh, I would like to state though um, a thing about the uh, two blast theory. Um, what you What you got on the two blasts? Okay. So the in this same thing from the. The law school, the same group here. Uh, the what law school? Can you name the uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City? Okay. Hmm. Good, because uh, it's one of those things where it's like you almost legitimize it by saying it's from a law school, but when you just say it's can, from a law uh, school, I'll it sounds very uh, senatorial of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, uh, I'll send you the link here. We will pull it up. If we will. Want. Yeah, we will get the the link posted. So, but yeah, so there, there, while he's doing that, I'll wrap up my thoughts so I don't leave the audience just kind of hanging when it comes to the rider truck thing. Right. There are theories of multiple trucks. There are people talking about seeing multiple trucks. There are people talking about seeing rider trucks on, um, on military bases around that time. That which, which is that, very which, odd. Which the official story again is that, oh, well, this footage was of a different rider truck from a different point in time and that the footage on the camera is misdated. That this was actually in October of the year. Do you expect before. us to believe the military has misstated cameras? Do you expect me to believe that the FBI lost tape footage right, of things? Right. You know, that's, like that's no, ridiculous. But people do, right? And then the response on that end is okay, okay, Uncle Scam. So you find okay, Uncle Scam, exactly. So you buy into the original story, the official story of oh, well, sorry guys, we lost these tapes, but you know what? You know what? We'll make sure this never happens again. Is if you give us a bunch more of money and resources and then we promise that's why we made the mistakes it was a lack of resources that's why we lost footage in the evidence room. Right. if we had had more money and more power there's no way we would have been able to lose that like it just it blows my mind that um, that that's where we take it so did you find what you were looking for Nathan uh, yes I did I uh, found it's about the building blowing up um, supposedly. We want stuff. So the damage to the plane was so extensive that many people believe that there were two blasts. And it says here the second coming from an ATF secure area where explosives being stored illegally uh, were ignited by the truck bomb. Which, I mean, I think that could be plausible. Very plausible. Um, because. Oh, absolutely. So there were there are multiple accounts of seismic activity. Also, state seismic activity and witness testimony uh, definitely give the uh, two blast theories of cloud. Yeah. So the and there there are. Oh man, it just gave me a different link that you sent me. It was not the proper link. So uh, I will was try it the first link. Or the I will one? I will try that again here in one second. But so what you were. We were talking about with this uh, two blast theory. You mentioned there being a stockpile of weapons. So yeah, they're not supposed to be any weapons. The ATF was not supposed to have anything in the Murrah building. But uh, the, there are two instances reported on where the search and rescue was halted. People are left trapped in the building, screaming, in so that secure files could be removed. Because right. there were there was paperwork there that people shouldn't that you know that were classified. I mean, yeah. as simple as as simple as it is, there was, there were four year eyes only kind of things there, and so everything was halted while agents come out and they just load documents on these trucks. And the other 
time that it was halted was to remove the weapons cache that the ATF had of grenades and submachine guns and all this stuff that's not supposed to be there. Right. So, yes, technically maybe that could be part of your, your second blast, but I think from here, this is where we need, need it. None of us are scientists, so, again, I'm going to have to suggest that people watch things like a noble lie go look it right. up for yourself so you can see yeah. a real scientist tell you why this blast radius and these things don't make sense um if you want to if you want to go to alex jones for your info this is one he loves to tell people how he broke the story wide open on the oklahoma mm -hmm. bombing uh, i would suggest coast to coast or Something along those lines. Something along those lines. Uh, well, this is this is one of the rare occasions where I will say that this was in early '90s. This was early on. Alex Jones a little bit. He does have some of his stuff together. The, the things that he brings to the table make sense. For instance, all of the debris being across the street. Mm. People working for days getting that debris field clean from across the street. So, and the idea of there being structural damage to a building. So, if you think about it, no matter what you put in that truck bomb. That truck bomb should not, what should be released off of that explosion, the only thing that fundamentally really that should be destroyed outside of windows and stuff like that. Can you pull up pictures? Well, do you think pulling up pictures on Google of the building? Is I, ha I had a picture up already. I okay. actually, I will I will bring it back up. I just, I, I mean, I'm not obviously watching. Right, but. yeah, no, fair enough. But so when you look at the picture itself, you, you'll wonder. But if right. you think about, think about it this way, the what... Explosions propel things out. Propel things out in a circular motion, okay? Right. So propel things outward. So, but also, when you, if you think about what was in this bomb, all that should have been blasted outwards really was air and heat. Yeah. And so, what could have possibly been in that truck that could have caused something like that to happen? And so, can we pull up Nathan the official the official version? Because the official version has changed several times when right. it comes to this. It's changed three or four times because the initial report, the bomb that people were instantly able to say that's not possible. And so, what they did was they kept adding the weight to of the bomb. They added mm. to the weight of the bomb several times to try to make it more plausible, realistic. more realistic. But the 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 reports of there being Multiple times you heard it. They, they were reporting that a second bomb has been found and deactivated, but there's a third bomb still in the building. There are eyewitness accounts of bomb squad trucks being parked across the street from the Murrah building before the bomb took place. Mm. There's reports of ATF agents all of a sudden just swarming on the scene, even though none of them were at work. So there are some interesting things talking about here. I pulled those two things kind of out of left field from what we were talking about, but... Good nonetheless. It's still information that, that's sort of as we talk about these things, more little facts get jogged and you just sort of bring it, reel it all in. But when it comes to this bomb, when we get the info pulled up, I'm going to pull up the picture again for everybody to see. Well, um, in terms of the bomb, what do you want pulled up? I need to know okay, I what bomb was built, the official so, stories version of the bomb that was built. So a rider truck containing in excess of 48 hundred pounds That's, yep. of an ammonia nitrate fertilizer, nitromethane, and diesel fuel mixture um, on the north side detonated at 9.02 a.m. Perfect. On the north face of the building, right? Mm-hmm. Which also... 
to go deeper on a rabbit hole conspiracy, really? just, you know, the North Face company, every time, I don't know about you guys, but every time I've seen someone wearing a North Face jacket, all I can ever think of is the Murrah building getting bombed. I know it's got nothing to do with anything, right? but it's the only two times I've ever heard those, that North word, face. the only time I've heard the word North Face, and so... Uh, part of me believes if I if I ever took the time to look back, I'd find some connection to the Murrah building behind somebody who runs that company. Uh, um, so, so, the ammonium nitrate bomb. So, what I wanted from you was the weight, because I couldn't remember. 4,800 was what I remembered, but as I told you guys, right. the number changed, changed so times. often, I, I didn't want to spit it out there and have it be revoked. So, 4,800 pounds. And now, so, you guys experienced with ammonia, all right? We've right. all had it. I don't know if you guys ever had cats or anything <laughs> where they fill it's up the litter box. It smells. Oh, it gets it's so bad. I was real bad. To, in order to. You don't remember my cats pissing all over the place? I, I do. I do. So I had a. You guys know this. I in the summers in college, I did. I worked. I was a private contractor at times. I did a lot of yard work. Did a lot of landscaping. Uh, tore out the inside of somehow. Did some demo. And in one project, uh, we had to replace the carpet and. The person who had lived there wasn't supposed to have animals, and they had had six or seven cats, and at some point, I guess, had decided to just stop taking care of them because the cat urine had saturated the carpet so much that it soaked through the underneath carpet, you know, to that padding wood? underneath to the woodwork. We Ugh. had to pull out Ugh. all the nail boards. Everything had to come out, and then for two days, we had to spray the whole thing with ammonia to, to try to just cancel some stuff out, so right. it took us two days we're talking maybe like, I don't even know. I can't even tell you how many square feet. Let's say like 10,000. Not a big place. One story right. house, little place. Yeah. Uh, I'm not good at, I'm not a. I'm not an architect. I can't just think of how many square feet yeah. it was. Whatever. It was a small place. Took two days for us because of the air, the quality of the air and how bad it was messing with us. So if you guys think about that, if 4,800 pounds, ammonia nitrate bomb, it is physically impossible for that to not smell. For not even that. For the search and rescue to have been there and been active in the timing that it was. So a couple of students set off an ammonia nitrate bomb on campus. And it took, I, I can't remember the, the date, or the, but it, it took about an hour before anybody could get to the scene because they had to let the, 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 the ammonia dissipate and move on. And so hmm. that part kind of makes this whole story reek to me. Um, I believe you used the term earlier, the decoy van. I believe that's sort of what was going on here, that the bombs were already in place in the building and that the rider truck was more of a decoy, so people could see that. Again, if you want to... Assume that it was all done by the truck. Yeah, if you want to go the Patsy route, you know, is, it, is this a scenario where Tim McVeigh thought he was running a sting operation on the white supremacist group in Elohim City and right. ended up being the fall guy? Maybe I don't know, but it just it it's crazy how the two the two extra bombs in the building and the John Doe number two have completely been whitewashed from our memory as far as the story goes. Right. Even though there is physical evidence at the very least to support that those bombs were there, and there are multiple eyewitnesses now. Again, any good detective will tell you an eyewitness account isn't nearly as valuable as they'd like to tell you it is. Right. Because the human memory is go, shit. Go type in Mandela Effect right now. Stop right. and pause this, type in Mandela Effect, and then come back with a new perspective on the human memory. Because 
it's not it cannot be trusted. Or but watch you, brain games. But when you have twenty four people all saying that they saw the two guys mm -hmm. and giving an accurate description, at that point that's when it becomes a little bit more believable. And not to mention we allocated so many resources. We, this to draw back to another episode, our propeller pirates episode. Lou, we looked into skyjacking. Nate, you yep. might have might have listened in on that one. We talked about DB Cooper. Okay, how long did the FBI waste resources looking for DB Cooper? 30, 40 years. I think they just closed the case. They just closed yeah. the case for DB Cooper, I, uh, like two or three weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. So thank Yeah, you're making my point for me essentially here with that. They just recently, it's been what, it was, it was third, like two or three weeks ago. Like 45 years or something, 40-something 40, yeah. 40 years looking for D.B. Cooper. After three months, they pretend John Doe 2 doesn't exist. Right. Now, why is that? Under what scenario? They what, closed out last month. Key bono here. Under what scenario would the FBI want to stop an investigation and, and and why, you know, is the reason that we can't find any of these tapes that show us the building, that show us the rider truck, are, are they not available to us because they would tell us who John Doe number two is? Possibly. Is it possible that John Doe number two was, let's say, Tim McVeigh's handler? Yeah. And that if it would be, again, a situation Spy where... Master. Let's take it from uh, those of you who follow RJ on 60 Grit. He does not adhere, adhere to our theory of things being predetermined or, or things being planned out. He's more the opportunist route. Right. So to, he, he would tell you, I would think, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and he, he can feel free to correct me in a couple of days when we go on air. He would probably tell you that this was a sting gone wrong and that the FBI would be covering its tracks, that they weren't complicit. They didn't try to, the FBI never had any intention. Nowhere on our end was there an intention to bomb the Murrah building, but they were trying to run a sting operation that failed and so right. they covered it up. And that is very plausible as well. I mean, one way or the, something was covered up here is, is basically what I'm getting Definitely. at. I don't know... I don't know that I want to go to the extent that Tim McVeigh was working for his government, but you can't argue with the result. The government got what they wanted from this. Yeah. Not you know, and I hate to throw that blanket term out there. There are plenty of great people in our government. There are plenty of great Americans. I, I love this country. I want to see us do well, but you can't fix a problem unless you announce, unless you are willing to talk about the problem being there. Right. And so. You know what like addiction? What what is exactly? And so what what is happening here? Under what circumstances? What would be another reason well, for them to call off that to call off that manhunt and and to just sort of just blame it all on Tim McVeigh without exactly. without further further investigation? This so is it, the exact kind of play that we see in the over the CIA overthrow of dictatorships and things. Well, it reminds me a lot, and I hate to be that guy, and I'm going to get some, I'm probably going to get a couple of thumbs down right about now, so when we see them on the feed tomorrow, it's okay. all your fault. This reminds me, and you guys probably might not like it either, this reminds me a lot of the Reichstag fire, okay? Okay. You have a scenario where well, Herman Goring, a mentally disabled yeah. individual, is blamed of burning down Parliament. And 
basically propelling Hitler gets what he needs. He gets to move forward from there. Mm -hmm. False flag attack. It's it's a key one to go to. And this sort of, you could see, if you wanted to, if you wanted to look at it from that perspective, you could see a lot of the similarities here. Because, again, whether or not we were pulling the strings, you can't deny who got what they needed here. Like the, the old, the Greek saying, the key bono. You know, who benefits? Figure out. Mm-hmm. You want to know who's to blame? Figure out who benefits. That, that's what any detective would do when they find a spouse has been murdered. Yep. That's a lot of times why the other spouse is usually the prime suspect because it's either a crime of passion or mm-hmm. it's a crime of profit. Yeah. And so a lot of these things, it, uh, it's the same thing. It's passion or profit. It could be a mix of two. You could get Where's someone. Where's the money go? You get someone who pays for passion. You you get like the Fritz Thiessen's of the world who paid. For Adolf, they they made a profit off of Adolf Hitler's passion. So was there someone out there making a profit off of Tim McVeigh's passion, or was Tim McVeigh's passion made up in order for him to get inside of a group, and then he thought he was going to bust that group, or was it all just to make that group look bad and just to make American patriots and right wings look nutty, and to put the idea into our mind twenty years ago that these people shouldn't have guns or, you know, that, right. that we need, we need to lock down. As mentally, and how, and yeah, mentally dangerous. Mentally dangerous and, and setting the stage now for this term domestic terrorism. So now the, how this applies, the reason we're talking about this stuff now is when you think about... <laughs> Can I add a little caveat? Always. Because if you think about domestic terrorism, you can trace that to the next chain in in diagnosing these people as mentally deranged. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, and you All it actually, takes is that next step of classification saying mentally dangerous, you know. Exactly, that is perfect. You segued for me right there because that's exactly where I was going with it. Why this pertains now is because when you hear things about both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton wanting to Censor the internet internet because of radicalization on the internet. What people don't understand, people hear these things and they think, well, that doesn't apply to me. That only applies to Ahmed down the street because he's Muslim and they might suspect him of being a terrorist. But because of Tim McVeigh, you and you and you and you guys listening, you are all, we are all on that same level because Tim McVeigh was not a religious radical. He, I mean, or... Or maybe he was, if you want to view that Aryan supremacy, if, if you want to buy well, into all that. He considered himself agnostic and an atheist. Um, he, there's a quote that he said, mm. um, well, if I'm going, it was something along the lines of like, well, if I'm going to hell, at least I'll be in good company. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't. Well, but that was, okay, to add more context, more context to that, he was talking about the casualties of war, and people were asking him about whether or not he felt bad for the people that died. Because that, that is a quote directly. That is like the one clip you can find on the 60-minute uh, interview. And what he's, saying enough, is, huh? what he's saying is, yeah, I would have good company. There are plenty of soldiers and generals basically right. essentially saying that there are a lot of good if, if what I'm If what I did puts me in hell, then there will be a lot of good men in hell, based, you know, essentially – trying to take the... Uh, and he specifically also stated he will improvise, adapt, and overcome if it turns out there's an afterlife. 
So, which has been my strategy too. Which yeah, is like, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Yeah, like right. I mean, fiery so brimstone bridge. You know, I know uh, Aaron supremacy and white supremacy and stuff usually typically have a religious base, but in, I mean, in this case, in terms of the bombing, you know, and I'm talking more not so conspiracy on this level here, um, but and I think also having a good chunk to do with obviously Waco and Ruby Ridge, even right. looking in conspiracy too. Um, you know, it's it's nowhere near any sort of religious attack or, or anything along those lines. Yeah, I, I agreed. But and that again, sort of just kind of validates what it is that we're saying here that you don't have to be. People don't understand how easily they can be labeled a terrorist, right? It really isn't going to take much. All it takes is saying. Well, I, I don't even want to say it because that's all it takes. That's well, we, look at what we've seen I where mean, people have gotten arrested off their Facebook Just posts. go follow our path. Exactly what exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Go Follow our path. Go back two weeks ago. Listen to us talking about these Facebook posts yeah. where people are getting arrested for saying that, you know, well, the cops in my town are next. You know, better not let me catch y'all. Da, 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 da. Okay. People are getting arrested for what they're saying on Facebook. So... That this is how it all ties in. The reason domestic terrorism is a thing is because Tim McVeigh went and bombed the Murrah building. And so the reason you have to watch what you say now, just as much, it is just as much to do with Tim McVeigh in 95 as it has to do with the Dallas shooting. Okay. Yeah. What people don't understand is we didn't just get to this point. Okay. It, it started it back then. The door was open back then. And things have been all read and reaction since then. And that's. That's why it's important, I think, for us to know and for us to understand if we were given the, the actual story here. And, and that's why you, we, we were, I don't know about you guys, I was seven when this happened. I wasn't even three. Okay. I was so, going on nine. So it's hard to blame our millennial generation here for not looking at this and crying out and for not knowing Ruby. You know, a lot of people, when you ask them, because we did this, in preparation for these episodes, trying to figure out, A, what kind of audience we had, what their interest level was, and what, it's sort of what invigorated me to keep pushing this was how little people knew. We had Buddy on on Bread and Circuses. We asked him about yeah. it. Well, we asked him, we had him on for the the Waco Ruby Ridge episode. Yeah. Because he was essentially playing the millennial audience there. It was he actually was, kind of beautiful. He was, he found out what we were, what we were going to talk about. And he wanted to stay for it to find out stuff. You know? Yeah, because he had no knowledge. He had never even heard of Ruby Ridge before. Right. He knew something happened at Waco. He couldn't tell you what. And now a lot of people... When I remember Waco, seeing the tanks think, drive around the building on the news when I was a kid. Yeah. That I, was a big thing. Yep. Waco. Yeah, I remember the 90s news. It was Waco and OJ. Yeah. And Tim McVeigh. Yeah. And... Oh, and Tupac getting shot. Oh, I don't remember seeing that much. I remember seeing that. I don't. I don't remember Tupac being shot. Uh, Supposedly, uh, Suge. It's always that's a big conspiracy. Is Suge? Well, then there's the other one. Yeah, Suge was helping him fake his death. That he helped fake his death. Yeah. The 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 cop on his deathbed claimed, you know, I was paid to help. I was paid to help Tupac fake his death. But conspiracy aside, and you know, I won't stray far as. You know, whatever Shook has come to him, I'm pretty glad for the most part. <laughs> uh, dude is just bad. He wasn't guy. a nice person. Yeah. Yeah. See, y'all should be careful because, you know, 
what you say on the internet, Shook's you can be held accountable for yeah, now. He's, he's no, and I'm not saying, you know. <laughs> we're not saying go kill him. No. You know, that's, he, he's got his Karma's a bitch. Coming. Yes. Karma's a bitch, and he was not a very nice person to a lot of people. <laughs> yep, but, yeah, so, <laughs> Shook Knight, see? That's why you gotta love this show. Where else can you hear about Shug Knight on a Tim McVeigh episode? So, the moral of the story is, we have a lot more questions than answers. answers. If you listen to us and you came in here tonight with just armed only with the official story, expecting us to answer questions for you, I apologize. That may have been misleading. We don't pretend to have any answers. Our goal simply is to ask questions to get conversation started because right. again and you can't fix a problem until it's addressed and that you figure out whether it. or not it's even a problem you know and i would like to say this regardless if it was whether you know if it was the official story with tim mcveigh attacking due to waco and stuff or you know any of this conspiracy stuff has valid points which i think presented tonight it can um it's still heartbreaking and sad to see so much death for either cause either way mm -hmm. um, you know a lot of innocent people and children especially as a social worker hearing the children you know that died there and that there's, yeah. a, there's a famous picture when you don't have to pull it up where the firefighter is holding I think a two-year-old who was still alive at that point but was in the bombing her clothes had been burned off I think Jesus and I mean she ended up passing away though so it, it that picture alone I mean that's just you know to either way whether it's the material we presented tonight or you know the official story to, and that goes for any conspiracy right like I will say a lot of people like to point on Newtown too um, now a lot of that also is people say your daughter didn't die it was all fake but point is Heartbreak for, you know, either way in this situation. Right. Yeah, because the Murrah bombing actually happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. I wasn't there, but I was alive. <laughs> and so I, I just brought up another uh, screen share here. Before we, before we go, I thought something, this was a thing that I wanted to bring up because I don't even know if your research led you guys across the path of Officer Terry Yakey. No, no, it did not. Officer Yeggy was a first responder at Oklahoma City who was in the process of writing a traffic ticket. You said Terry Yeggy? Terry Yeggy. So it is Y-E-A-K-E-Y. -E -E so Officer Yeggy was a officer who was writing a traffic ticket down the street when he heard the bombs and he dropped the ticket. He dropped the ticket where he stood. Literally dropped the ticket pad and, and ran off. And took off and started helping people escape. And so the interesting thing about Officer Yeki was that he was found dead in a supposed... Oh my god. I, it's, it's hard for me to even get through this. Strange without, death of Terry Yeki. Yeah. So his suicide in which he slit his wrist, slit his neck, and then put the knife in the glove box of his car and then supposedly crawled half a mile so he could die under a tree. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. So, why wouldn't he just drive to the tree and then do it? Why not wait till you get to the tree and stab yourself out of the tree? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, ex yeah. exactly. Well, why would you crawl like that? Why, why wouldn't you? 
what the fuck? Yeah. It, okay, first of all, my thing is, he was said to have slit his wrist and neck. The wrist thing, I mean, you know, you're going to eventually lose up a lot of blood from there, and I can't say from experience, right. obviously. But to slit your neck and then be able to... To crawl? That's, I mean, that's... And then have enough to shoot you in, yourself in the head? He shot himself in the head? Uh, yeah, inside of the head at an unusual angle. And no weapon was found at the scene of body, no investigation, no fingerprints. Well, yes, he somehow left that in his fucking glove box, too. <laughs> I was being facetious. Yeah, and that's sh just, what the shit? So, and again, you'll have to, uh, well, I'm going to show this. You guys will have to forgive the, uh, the Wikipedia-ness of this link because it's hard to find information about this guy, you know, but I want the name. Wikipedia, though, I mean, it's, for the most part, it's pretty legit nowadays. Which it still it ha it has some stigma with it, but so Terry Yakey, you can find articles about him, but the guy you won't find a lot of stuff about is Kenneth Michael Trenadu, which one of the bigger truthers in the Oklahoma City bombing movement came across this whole thing by accident because his brother was a, a former Vietnam War vet who was a, a, addicted. To some drugs and got in trouble robbing some banks named Kenneth Michael Trinidu, who was again an odd suicide. He was found dead in his cell, uh, but with weird things like so he his brother had to put in several requests for the body to finally be sent, and when it was sent, it had a bunch of they had put makeup all over it. So Jesse Trinidu, who is a lawyer, an attorney in Utah, um, you know, he wiped the makeup off, saw all the bruises. His brother's feet had been smashed in. Uh, it was reported that during the autopsy, like a liter's worth of cola had been found in his body, which it's, Lou, you will know this. Um, caffeine is used in torture interrogation because right. it enhances it the you pain. Up. Yeah, it keeps you up and it enhances the pain. Yeah. So there were clear signs here of this guy being tortured in his prison cell. But again, it's ruled a suicide. Uh, Je Jesse Trinidu, this attorney, uh, when he went to investigate, he found that all the backlogs involving his brother, either the logs themselves were missing or pages from the logs that may have references, but they were all, wow. he, basically there, he could find no evidence of his brother being in the system there, even though he knew that he was going to talk to us the day before. Right. And, Except inmate number. Um, even... I don't even think even up to, to that extent, but well, yeah, so because they, they, I mean, they said, I know you said this, but they thought he was an accomplice, Kenneth Trinidu. Um, well, and exactly, that's that's where then, I was yeah, going with it, was but, the thought was yeah. that Tim McVeigh reached out to Jesse Trinidu and said that, you know, I heard about what happened to your brother, and I apologize, I think he was killed because they thought, because he was mistaken for someone else Richard that was supposed Garthy. to. Yeah, Garthy. Garthy. yep. Yep, Richard Guthrie, who is supposed to be involved in the Oklahoma City. So mm. this guy with Jesse Trinidu, it didn't start. He was not. He did not start up. Start out after the FBI and the ATF. He simply wanted justice for his brother. Why was right. my brother murdered? And he said after the however many times it took, where it, it just no matter where he went, it kept leading him back to Oklahoma City. And so he finally, that's when he got to the point where he okay. turned his attention to Oklahoma City. And so these are two things that I would suggest 
to you at home that you would look into these little subtle 